And just like that, we are four Saturdays away from Oklahoma football. It feels like ages ago that Lincoln Riley bolted for Southern California, and a week later, Brent Venables made his triumphant return to Norman with much fanfare. But it really wasn't all that long ago in the grand scheme of things, eight months to be exact. But at the time, amid all the excitement and optimism, one of the main things on my mind was the fact that we were all going to have to wait a long, long time to watch Brent Venables make his head coaching debut at Oklahoma. The wait has tested our patience, but it's been necessary. The last eight months have gone about as well as possible for Brent Venables in Oklahoma football. Let's go back to the start. Venables was hired in early December after Bob Stoops stepped up to steady the program and remind everybody that one man is not bigger than Oklahoma football. Venables went to work immediately, hiring Jeff Lebby, bringing back Jerry Schmidt, Schmitty. Venables hired Troy defensive coordinator and former Sooner Brandon Hall to coach the safeties. Venables identified a little-known off-the-field assistant coach at Clemson named Miguel Chavis and brought him to Oklahoma to coach defensive ends. A football journeyman, Ted Roof, was hired as defensive coordinator. All right, we all scratched our heads when that happened, but eight months later, it makes a lot more sense now. And don't forget how Venables returned four offensive assistant coaches, Cale Gundy, Bill Biedenboe, DeMarco Murray, and Joe John Finley. To this day, it's super interesting that the only offensive assistant who accompanied Lincoln Riley to USC is Dennis Simmons. Slowly but surely, Venables filled out his staff. In late December, Bob Stoops led the Sooners to an Alamo Bowl win over Oregon in what may be one of the most bizarre games in program history. Stoops got to coach the Sooners one final time, while Caleb Williams played his last game of his short Oklahoma career. When the calendar turned to January, Venables met his next challenge head-on. Caleb Williams jumped into the transfer portal, along with Mario Williams, and the question arose, was there about to be a mass exodus from the Sooners football program? The answer was an emphatic no. With the help of Jeff Levy, Venables added quarterback Dylan Gabriel. Wide receivers Marvin Mims, Jaleel Farouk, and Theo Weiss, three players who were rumored to potentially transfer, all stayed. Defensive players expressed their excitement about the thought of playing for Venables, except for Latrell McCutcheon, who decided to join the party at USC. A mass exodus never happened. And on top of that, Venables and his coaching staff locked in a top 10 recruiting class in early February. And I haven't even mentioned Venables' ability to pry Todd Bates away from Clemson. Spring practice was a wild success, culminating in Oklahoma's highest attended spring game ever, which also happened to be the highest attended spring game in college football in the spring of 2022. Every single sentence that's left the mouth of Brent Venables, his coaching staff, and the players on campus have been exactly what we all have wanted to hear. Culture, brotherhood, love, team, attention to detail, preparation. And this team will get what they earn. The buy-in is strong. Inside the program, this group is hungry and ready for fall camp. Outside the program, high school kids are buying into Venables and what he's selling as well. As of today, Oklahoma's 2023 recruiting class is ranked sixth nationally, according to the 247 composite. And don't be surprised if the class soon gets even better. I've heard Oklahoma is confident it can land five-star defensive lineman David Hicks, considered to be the top D lineman in the nation, according to 247 and Rivals.
The last eight months were necessary for the next four months. Fall camp is where the final pieces of a team are developed. Todd Bates told us that yesterday. He added, quote, in fall camp, you get to the point where you get tired of hitting each other in practice, and that's when the walls come down and the bonding really starts. But you can't rush it. You can't just make that happen, end quote. He's right. You can't rush success. But in only eight months' time, this new-look OU football program looks to be a winner to me. It's almost time to find out if that's true. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Here we go again with another edition of West of Everest. Apologies for the delay this week. OU Media Day kept me busy on Tuesday as Dean and I spent about five hours in Norman talking to all the coaches as well as as I think I think it was 11 different players that showed up for media days and I was told that Oklahoma's first practice of fall camp is set for this Friday August 5th the first time we'll be able to get out there and watch a little bit of practice in person will be next Monday the 8th and I do intend on being there before we welcome in Grant today and believe me I've got a bone to pick with him thanks to some of our listeners out there let me thank all of you for stopping in to consume the podcast We're heading into our sixth football season of West of Everest. Hard to believe on our end, but if not for the people out there like you who listen to the show, Grant and I would have closed up shop years ago. If you're new to this show, we'd appreciate you leaving feedback on iTunes with a rating and or a review. And if you listen to the show on Spotify, feel free to leave us a five-star rating on that platform. Any positive feedback helps grow the podcast and allows more OU fans to be exposed to this show. Well, coming up on the show today, we'll run through a couple of comments from the West of Everest Facebook page that we didn't get to last time out. We'll hit on Media Day. I'll tell you some of my biggest takeaways from Tuesday. And a theme of the offseason has been national media members offering skeptical opinions of the OU football program moving forward. I've gathered a couple of sound bites from podcasts I've listened to recently to give you an idea of what other people are saying about the Sooners. And Grant and I will tell you where these people are totally wrong or where they're right in some instances. So without further ado, let's bring in Grant. And before we do anything today, Grant, I think you owe me an apology for last episode. Why is that? Actually, I'm reading the script right now, and I read episode as decade and not episode. So I thought you said, I think you owe me an apology over the last decade. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's a hell of a teaser. What, what do you got going on here? You don't even know what you have to apologize for. This is unbelievable. This, this is, is unbelievable. I don't. I don't. I mean, it's gone. I mean, we like like we recorded the episode and it was gone. It was it was out of the memory bank. What's up? Okay, so many listeners commented on the West Everest Facebook page. Uh, Jackson Arnold has received a fifth star on two four seven. He's a five star. How dare you correct me and say that he's not a five star when he is? Okay, I'm sorry about that. I, like, I, I mean, are you positive, though? Are you positive it's not just the composite five-star? Jackson Arnold, 247 Sports, 247 Sports Composite, five-star, 247 Sports by itself, five-star. Number five quarterback, 15th nationally. Here's the thing. I didn't have internet last show. I took your word for it. You know, I, I couldn't double-check it. I just, you know, hey, you know more about recruiting than I do. Like, oh, this whole, like... I've never heard of a five-star that's not really a five-star. That's new to me. Well, you know what? Because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, Grant. <laughs> Honestly, I think, up. you know what? I Like, okay, whatever. 
sure. I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. That this is new to me. I did not know that tw- that that two four seven with their service gave him the fifth star. Um, I think there's people who listen to the show who would back me up on this one. There's been rhetoric, I mean, at least for the last month, about how when is he going to get his fifth star? Um, it's so odd that he's fit that that he's five stars in the composite, but is not five stars in any of the major services. Uh, that was absolutely a thing throughout the the month of July. So um, I'll take your word for it. I I, I don't want to get anything wrong, but also at the same time, uh, we we may have just missed the story by about a week or so. No. I- don't take my word for it. All you do is just go look for it. Like I'm looking at the headline right now. He got his fifth star for 247 on July 18th. Okay, so it was two weeks ago? Yeah. But that had so already it happened. Was a week ago? It, was, last it was eight days ago when we last recorded it? I guess. So yeah. we recorded I mean, it. Was, it was like that. six it was six days or a week before that he got the fifth star. Yeah, hey, I you know, I I'll eat it. I'll totally own it. I'll own it for getting that wrong. But also the fact that his that he got his fifth star literally six to seven days before we recorded that, and it was a large storyline and narrative over the course of the offseason amongst OU fans that he didn't get his fifth star yet. I think that's I, I think I'm okay there. Okay, it, six to seven days. That's a long time. Like if it was six to seven hours, okay, maybe six to seven days. I, I don't remember the hey, time to check. I, I do follow like I, I don't follow recruiting in the like in, in an obsessive way, but if something happens on the recruiting trail, I know about it that day for sure. I didn't know about that. You just broke this. <laughs> I had no idea that he got his fifth star at twenty at at, at two four seven. That's and so like, that's, that's on me. That's, that's on me. The, it's totally on me. Like I'm not, okay. but but I I missed it. I missed it, and so that means like I, I'm just if I do have to offer a little bit def, a little bit of defense for myself. When he got that fifth star at 247, it was not a thing that anybody talked about on the internet. <laughs> you, you know, so so your, your defense is that when uh, Oklahoma's main quarterback in their 2023 class got a fifth star, nobody on the internet found that to be interesting enough to talk about that day. <laughs> not a single person, not one. Uh, it happened on our sister's birthday, so I'll, you should use that as the excuse. You were busy. You were, you were busy with our sister, you know, making sure she had a nice birthday, so... You know, your phone was off. You were attentive, listening to her talk about her birthday and, you know, being, uh, you know, celebrated and whatnot. That should be your that defense. That was a busy day. I, I shouldn't have to day. be your lawyer here. We went to one of those okay. sushi restaurants where all of the sushi goes by in a conveyor belt. So that was, it was, it was yeah, a we very... we don't have those in Oklahoma. It was a yeah, very important day. That's way ahead of our day. time. Yeah, you guys are landlocked. You don't have any of that stuff. Jeez. I, I mean, they probably have it here. I don't know. I'm not a big... I'm not a sushi guy. I don't like sushi, so I wouldn't know. Okay, I'm glad we got that taken care of. Uh, I feel like I'm vindicated, totally vindicated. So how about that media day on Tuesday, huh? How about that? Kind of came and went, but it signals that OU football is back, baby. Kind of, because practice is still a couple days away. Yeah, I was gonna say it's uh, like there's 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 plenty of plenty of talking or uh, like you know quotes provided during media day for us, you know, like to use as a prompt to talk about stuff for sure. But yeah, I think I think always the biggest takeaway from Media Day is that that means that the football season is here. It's like and so like that's always my big thing. Once August gets here and and practice starts, it's here. We're we're just like this is just an extended bowl week for the most part, just waiting for the first game. Cuz they're they're practicing. There's going to be a lot of news, there's going to be a lot of info that comes from practice and all of that stuff. 
Um, so we're here. We, we made it. We totally made it. Football season is here. And uh, gosh, man, I'm excited for it. Really excited. It came, this was the fastest off season of any off season I've ever experienced. And I'm sure that comes with age and just getting older and everything, but that's just wonderful. I'm, I, I'm happy that that's the case, that we didn't have to suffer through what seems like a very long off season. Yeah, I almost talked about that in my opening take, just about how, you know, you and I were in our 30s and, you know, we're not we're not super old or anything, but we're old enough to experience the phenomenon of time just speeding up seemingly as you get older. And, you know, years ago, I was thinking back to, you know, 2008, like heading into my first year at OU you know, I, I transferred in. It was your first year as well. And I, don't know, I mean, I, I was working all summer and I went to OU, but it's like the whole offseason going into football just seemed like it took forever. Like, looking forward to that football season. And that 08 football season ended up being awesome uh, when OU was really good and ended up playing Florida in the title game. Uh, and the year after that, the year after that, just the offseason seems to drag on. And, and now, for whatever reason, heck, even when this podcast started, when we started doing this podcast before the 2017 season, I, I remember it felt like the offseason between the 2017 season and the 2018 season took forever. Forever, it seemed like. And, and now you know, five, six years later, whatever the math is. Yeah, that, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't classify this offseason as like the fastest ever, but it, it definitely went by a lot quicker to me, now I look back in hindsight, than I thought it would considering Brent Venables gets hired and, you know, we got to wait all this time for the first game, thinking like, my gosh, the first game is not until nine months from now. Well, we're almost there. We're only a month out. And it really has flown by. So kind of an interesting phenomenon. That's crazy. I, I can't believe that he's, he's been the head coach for like eight months. Yeah. It's nuts, man. That's insane. All right, and so I was like, I, I, like on that note, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I don't mean to filibuster like on, on this, but um, I've been, so earlier this week, I think it was, it was either Monday or Tuesday, the whole ESPN plus and sooner vision partnership started. And so there's actually, there's, and, and I like, I'm, I think they're adding more stuff, but like kind of periodically the last couple of days, they've been adding like some OU like archival stuff uh, to, to the ESPN app, which is fun to watch. And so a couple of a, a couple of the first two things they put on there were uh, the 2003 games against Oklahoma State and Texas A&M, the 52 to nine and 77 to nothing games. And I just I think it's so funny now just us talking about how long it takes between the off seasons and everything. 2003, Lee, the 2003 season, that doesn't seem like that long ago. It really doesn't. Um, in my brain, that doesn't seem like, you know, that far removed from modern football. But man, let me tell you, when you put on those two things that are on ESPN Plus and you watch them, it, it, it really does feel like you're watching football from the 80s. It does. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's weird. Like, I hate that that's the case, but it kind of dates you a little. It makes you feel a little older. And, um, and I'm sure, I mean, a lot of the people kind of like near our age, like, you know, low to, to mid thirties probably kind of feel the same way if they've watched that stuff, but it's crazy how it feels like it's totally from a different era, but it just, it just, it wasn't that long. It was 19 years ago, but it really, it really feels like it was yesterday that they were, that they beat Texas A&M 77 to nothing and that they were getting ready to play LSU in the national title game and being upset by Kansas State, it really just does not feel like that long ago. It's crazy how, how it works that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little different for whatever reason. To me, it, that does feel like a long time ago. It feels like a long, long time ago. And I, I think it's the difference between being a child and being an adult now. 
to, I mean, you and I are different the way we consume OU football. You're a lot more of a historian than I am. You have a lot more memories of those games than I do. I just, you know, certain things stick out, but other things don't. And, and I just don't have as much interest in going back and watching. And so to me, it does seem like a long time ago. And I saw this thing on Facebook the other day. I think it might have been, you know, sometimes on Facebook, you'll see, like, they'll throw in, like, I think things are probably on TikTok, but they're putting it on. I'm not on TikTok. I don't do that. I, what a waste of time. But some of the, one of the TikTok things probably like slid into Facebook and I saw it. Anyways, the whole point was it was like, this is what high school looked like back in 2004. <laughs> and I was like, in my mind, I was like, wait a second. Like, I was in high school in 2004. That wasn't that long ago. And then I, I thought about it. I was like, okay, let's say I'm in high school. Like, if, if in 2004, or no, it's, it's 2022. So if they did like a version of that, this is high school in this year. I was thinking like, what year would it have been? It would have been like 1986. And I immediately felt, oh my God, I, this, I feel so old because in 2004, I mean, that's essentially like when I was born, like around the time I was born, 87. I mean, that feels like ages ago, obviously in the eighties, but now like 2004 and your, to your example, 2003, that is a long time ago, man. I, it really is. But I guess in your mind, it's not necessarily that long of a time. Okay, we can move on. <laughs> Are you still there, by the way? Oh, I'm still here. I'm still here. I just I, I thought you had more, man. I, th- I thought you no, were going to... No, that was it. I, th- I thought we were going to get really deep into the weeds. But no, yeah, we don't need to get uh, more existential no. than we already have. Uh, no, hey, but here's the main thing. <laughs> we're, still, we're still kicking. We're still here for now. For now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> biggest takeaways from media day. How about that? Let's, let's get into actual talking about football. And to me... You know, as I, I think back to it, I mean, I, you know, I was there for the whole thing. God, it lasted four hours. I think I ended up leaving five, in, in five hours. As I was thinking more about it, the biggest star of the show of Media Days is a guy that wasn't even there, and that was Schmitty. I feel like Schmitty was the biggest star of the show. I, I mean, and the biggest talk about him came from the offensive line. Anton Harrison and Andrew Raym were there. And I'll talk about Anton Harrison first. He said that Schmitty makes sure that the guys are focused and locked in on the little things on a day-to-day basis. And he said the idea of that is to accomplish the little things so that the big things seem easy. And for some reason, this kind of hit me as unusual because, like, sure, the, the strength part of a strength coach and, and Schmitty, that's huge. But it sounds like he makes sure to spend a lot of time on the, the mental side and making sure that the guys are mentally strong as well. And I know maybe that's a common thing for strength coaches, and I just haven't ever picked up on that. Uh, but that stood out to me about how uh, it sounds like, obviously, you always hear the, the cliches about the strength coach spends the most time around the guys. And so if he's helping them, obviously, with their physical strength, but also helping them with their mental strength, okay, maybe that's something different than the past. Maybe it's not. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and also... As far as the physical strength go, Andrew Rame, he said that uh, – oh, by the way, Andrew Rame, he's good to go for fall camp. I, mean, I remember in the spring he had a foot thing. He, was, he missed, I think, almost all of it, if not all of it. Uh, I remember seeing him in a cast or in a boot one day. Uh, he told me that now he feels stronger and more conditioned than he's ever felt, and he's good to go for fall camp 100%. Uh, but his money quote of the day was, quote, the offensive line has gotten stronger in the last six months than we were in the past two years. Uh, and Andrew Rame, he tends to say some hyperbolic things from time to time, at least based off of last year, but still a great quote, Grant. Yeah, I, you know, what an interesting thing. I, so I, I was talking to you about, uh, about this yesterday, I think too. And I, you know, 
if you kind of if you kind of read between the lines, there's a lot of quotes like this. In any time that an OU player has like has has had an interview in the last six months or so, you'll 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 find stuff like this, sort of like hinting towards, eh, like you know, obviously not outwardly saying it, but kind of saying like, yeah, things were kind of a mess over the last guys, or they weren't as focused, <laughs> or they weren't as and um, and a lot of the times, right, you can only understand that, you can only only see that once like it's compared to something else, right? So I, I know I know Reggie Grimes kind of had had something like that too, but. Um, but Ethan Downs also had a, a situation earlier. This was a couple weeks ago. And yesterday when we were talking, Lee, I told you that it was on Gabe and Teddy's podcast, but that wasn't the case. It was on a, uh, it was on an interview that he did with uh, 94.7, the KREF, whatever the is in Oklahoma city. But mm-hmm. he said something along the lines of, um, basically last year, we only had a couple guys in the offensive line room who could bench like 320 pounds. And he said that now everyone in the room can do way more than that. And so I like I'm sitting here trying to like weigh is like, okay, how much of that is just a 19 year old kid making a hyperbolic point, right? Like how much of that is 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 actually true? Weighing that against like, I don't know, what if he's what if he's not not blowing smoke up our rear ends? What if that's actually true? What if that actually is a thing whereas like whereas like under Benny Wiley or under the last staff they just like they weren't able to put up a lot of weight and now they are what does that say well i mean it it says that to to you know be charitable it says that you know ultra strength wasn't necessarily the main goal of the strength coach maybe it was uh conditioning uh flexibility and i mean strength is important but maybe it wasn't the main thing whereas with you know obviously there's a different uh a different process with schmitty i mean just totally different uh, and I, I trust Ethan Downs. He, he seems like a pretty genuine guy. I talked to him at media days. Uh, just such a, such a sweet guy. Just a nice guy. Uh, big guy, <laughs> obviously. He can get nasty out there. But uh, no offense to Andrew Rain, but I, I kind of take more from Ethan Downs because, again, like Andrew, I just remember last year, I can't remember the exact quote, but he was really excited about the offensive line last year, about how nasty they could be and how good they can be. And the offensive line, uh, I mean – struggled to run the football at times and like really couldn't move people as much as like we probably would have liked them to so uh so I don't know I mean but from Ethan Downs I when you talk to him he's very thoughtful uh he's he just so if he said that I tend to believe it and I like the the thought that Oklahoma now is has a lot more guys that can push people around and lift <laughs> I mean that's in in a sport that's dependent on strength and overpowering people uh it's pretty important to be able to put up whatever what was the number 320 or yeah. whatever it is so yeah, yeah. it's 315 like or 320 that. i mean obviously not much difference between those two but i don't know there's there, there's a part of me too and you know hey this has been a um it's been this has been a pretty common narrative in the fan base over the last i mean basically ever since the schmitty was hired right was that and and Benny Wiley potentially being a problem in the program that that does not that's not just last season there there's been rumblings about that for for years up to this point uh, up to everything wasn't wasn't the whole thing about Texas yeah. Texas message board people were like wanting that guy gone or, or like and whenever your your opposing teams are happy that a, a guy is gone that's never a good sign if you hire that guy sure wasn't that yes. the whole bit that was yes when Benny Wiley got hired I said that on this podcast. The one, uh, yeah. okay. the one big worry I had was that Texas fans hated him and thought that he was terrible. Hmm. 
and um and so yeah and and i think you know whether or not you want to say that's prophetic or but like yeah i mean it's i i think like one of the things that we can sort of circle and point towards the lincoln riley regime is that maybe an issue was that benny wiley wasn't getting getting enough out of these guys perhaps that's an issue and that's not something that just came out of nowhere that's something there were rumblings about that for years so um I don't know, man, but like also at the same time, there's something about this narrative, right? About how, oh, a lot of the issues were, were Benny Wiley based and not, and because their strength and conditioning wasn't hard enough. And now that Schmitty is in here, everything is going to be great. And I, I, I just, I want to preface this by saying I do buy into part of this narrative. I do, I do think your strength and conditioning coach is extremely important. And if your strength and conditioning coach isn't pushing the guys that you have on your roster, that's a huge problem. That's a huge, huge problem. But also there's something, there's there's a convenience to this narrative that 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 forces me to push back a little bit. There's and it's 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 mainly just the logic of saying it can't be that easy. Can't it cannot be sure. that easy. And if it is, like if and if it is, then oh my God. I like I don't know. Like I, I feel like I'd have to kind of just change the way that I think about college football. Yeah, no, I I think it's a totally fair way to look at this and and I tend to to be closer to you I mean I'm in the camp where I mean I do believe this is for the best and I know that I reached out to some of my friends that you know cover Texas A&M and I asked them hey you know since you know Schmidt you know Schmidt was there from 18 to last year you know what you know was he talked about much like what are, what are your guys thoughts and I got the reply back that all the players seem to like him a lot and they liked him a lot so uh you know that was and you know he was he was a big hire for them so the players at A&M I guess would you know talk about him a decent amount um and I I know the big question that you've kind of had with me on this podcast and also just off the air a bit is is your skeptical about injuries and this is something that I want that I challenge you to do because I, I, I we talked about this a while back but I I sometimes think that maybe your thing with injuries is maybe just a feeling and not necessarily based off of facts like maybe you just thought there's a lot of injuries, but what about other schools? You know, maybe Oklahoma's injury issues. I'm open to that too. Is it, I'm open maybe to it's, that. Maybe it's similar to other teams. You know, like and because like we're so focused on Oklahoma most of the time, and like to some extent some Big Twelve schools and here and there, but I, I just have never, with the exception on, of, honestly of like 2009 when Jermaine Gresham got injured before the season started, and then Sam Bradford got hurt, and I think the offensive line was kind of kind of weak and oh not like. Outside of that year, I mean, I just haven't, like, injuries are kind of injuries, you know? Like, they happen to everybody, and, you know, I just don't know if you can really blame a whole lot on that. I mean, what's the old cliche, right? Next man up. And certainly if your quarterback gets hurt, all right. I mean, that's a huge part. Like, you're not going to come back from that a lot of the times. But I – so, yeah, that's something to watch out for, and I think that's what we're going to try to do this year. We've got to keep reminding ourselves, let's keep track of USC. Let's keep track of of Oklahoma and kind of see, like – as much as we can how do injuries happen to these teams is it and it, it's a you know it's a one-year sample so it's not going to be the end-all be-all but I think that's kind of something to watch out for because I'm just not so sure I'm going to buy into it as much as maybe you have in the past and I'm just kind of op- going to be open-minded to it no I'm I'm like I'm open to your pushback that it's more that every that you know a lot of my feelings here are anecdotal just because I'm you know we're really close to the program and so whenever an important OU player gets hurt, whether or not that be in the off season during the week or whether or not they're dealing with just like some sort of nagging injury. Yeah, of course. Like that's, that's, that's going to stand out as something that's important to me. Um, 
No, I guess yeah. I, my my feeling is that OU has had has had has had issues with nagging injuries for a long time, um, and I you know this and this is where that was an issue under Jerry Schmidt as well, and it continued under Benny Wiley too. So that that would that would definitely be some evidence towards your theory that it's more just anecdotal on my part, and when I'm just too close to the program, um, and so yeah, may, maybe I would need to go back and I would need to add. I, I would need to add more context to that. Um, but I mean, even just like you, you think of 2009, like I instantly think of 2008. I think of Ryan Reynolds getting hurt in the OU Texas game, which was yeah. massive. That was so consequential. Um, and I know there's a lot of Texas fans who push back on that and say, no, that's a, and, and, and to that, I'd say you're crazy. You're insane. Um, another one I think of too. And, and this, this is one where you weren't super close to the program. Um, and this is stuff that's just that's that's just coming out of my mind. Um, their Orange Bowl against Clemson in 2015, uh, Charles Walker getting a concussion randomly in in the practices leading up to that, and that would that was huge. That was a massive loss for them going into that game. Uh, that sucked, and of course I, that was a free thing. You got a concussion, so I mean in practice that that happens, whatever. Um, but just I guess yeah, and you know my brain that's kind of where it goes to right now, and so kind of put me on the spot there i would need to go back um <laughs> hey man these new uh this new look brent venables culture this new look brent venables uh recruiting next man up baby if charles walker gets you know banged up next guy's gonna be just as good just as good as that defensive line okay well can i like i, I guess like i'll be like <laughs> jalen redmond has been hurt his entire career essentially and it's always been nagging stuff it's never been serious injuries it's always well, been also like you throw in more. Well, you throw in the blood clot thing too, which kind of held him back for. That a was twenty seventeen. Well. That was twenty seventeen season. I mean, that wasn't he was a true freshman. He hasn't had any issues regarding that since then. All of his other stuff has been soft tissue stuff, like soft tissue, just sort of like annoying. Wasn't, uh, well, it wasn't uh, didn't he have a big shoulder thing that he played through? Well, that would be and soft like, tissue. Had... The shoulder, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah, unless it's your unless that. it's your collarbone, I suppose. I guess I don't. I mean, I think a soft tissue. I think of like hamstring, quad, you know, like stuff like that. Um, anything with and like, like I shoulder, mean, knee, like I mean, the I the secondary a season ago, Lee were so injured, was extremely injured. Um, Danny Stutzman missed four or five games last year. This is all, man, the offensive happen. line was injured last year. Injuries happen, man. They just happen. I guess maybe, maybe and, and that is and because that, that was always one of the interesting anecdotes about the 2000 seasons they they did not lose a single starter to an injury the entire season and so like I've always and and here's the thing like I I don't think that's that uncommon like I, I I'm sure there's like I can't think of any important players on LSU's 2019 team that got hurt like in 2001 and 2002 Lee Jason White tore his ACL and Nate Hibble sucked, was really bad. Well, well the issue with uh, teams that go against Oklahoma in these big games about injuries, uh, guys do get hurt, but by the time they play OU, they're back to full health. Percy Harvin, uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair, even though it didn't matter because they didn't need him. Don't even get game. me started on Percy Harvin. That, that's the one that upsets me the most. <laughs> oh, gosh, uh, I have no idea if this guy's going to play. No, he's, he's by far the best player in the world, and he has been. He's 110%. He's going to be amazing. So okay, let's let's move it on. Let's move on to a different part. Like more, just kind of like body change news from media day that caught my eye. Uh, 
Jalen Redman, you, you mentioned him. He said that he is up to 295. He used to play at 280, but Redman says that now he's at 295. He feels better than he did at 280, and he can still move really, really well at 295. And you know, talking about Redman's injury history, maybe this is a good omen. Uh, he pointed out to us at Media Day that for the first time since he's been at Oklahoma, he made it through spring practice and through the summer without getting banged up, without getting injured, and he's going into fall camp 100%. Uh, this is his he's going into his fifth year at Oklahoma, by the way. So, you know, maybe that's a good omen for Jalen Redmond because we get a fully healthy Jalen Redmond for a full season. Whew, that could be fun, especially in a, in a defensive minded head coach, like a new scheme that has had success at Clemson and at, at OU. That's somewhat exciting. So. This is only his third summer, though. Sure. I mean, because he didn't he didn't have a summer in 2017 or 2020. Okay, yeah. One out of three. <laughs> uh, but that's see, still Reggie. significant. I mean, those it, with you know hit, what he's talking about, making it through healthy and everything. Like the 2020 COVID season, he that was when he had the shoulder thing. Like a part of that was him just being like, "I'm not healthy. I'm just going to sit out the year because I'm not healthy." Yeah, that's like that was I like I remember kind of the retcon there was that the sh- his shoulder bit was was part of the reason why he decided to sit out 2020. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Reggie Grimes. Uh, he's gained 20 pounds from 255 to 275. And, oh, surprise, hope you're sitting down. He says he feels great. Uh, he can still run. He can move. He feels a lot stronger. And there was a time when uh, we were getting ready to, to, to walk away, and I briefly insulted him, and I, I told him that he looked skinny when he was a freshman. <laughs> uh, but, I said, but, I mean, like relative to, like, you know, like a football player, uh, but anyways, luckily he didn't beat me up after I said that because now Reggie Grimes looks like he has no neck. I mean, he is, he is thick. <laughs> he is thick and he is tall. So I'm a, uh, I, I'm a Reggie Grimes he, fan. That's a him and Ethan Downs. Uh, no, he's a good kind of kind of bookending that defensive line. There are outstanding representatives of the program. I I, I enjoy. So I'm I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on this podcast. I usually cringe when when there's interviews of players. And it's mostly just like a media competence thing where just like kids just aren't comfortable giving interviews. They're not good at it. And I'm, I'm the type of person who has like a lot of secondhand embarrassment. So I just, I struggle to watch that stuff. Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, those guys, man, they're, they're really good at it. And I don't, I don't cringe when I watch them talk to the media. That's I, I just, a lot of guys I, that are good at it on this team. I just appreciate that is all. Eric Gray. He's really good at it. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, as you'd expect, he's good at it. Uh, DJ Graham, very good. Uh, Marvin Mims, very very good. I'm trying to. I, I'm probably leaving people out, but uh, yeah, it's that's what I noticed in the spring, and I probably talked about it during the spring. Is it was nice that we actually got a chance for the first time in a couple of years to be in person with these guys to ask them questions. Is it for the first time in two years? It wasn't over Zoom, and it was just and it was just so much more comfortable and. Uh, it just they got yeah so and we're obviously moving forward like that here with uh the 2022 season uh okay so the last bit of transition body transition it could be the most interesting one at, at least from you know what i learned yesterday maybe we'll learn from more you know more body transformation stuff as fall practice goes on but david Aguebu is down 20 pounds he's down to 242 and again Make sure you're sitting down, everybody. But he says he can move a lot better. 
and you know what was the the big thing about like him is in a, in a speed D system that was all about speed. He was the one guy that was like, this guy ain't fast. I don't know why this guy, <laughs> this dude's not fast. And now I'm expecting him to be a lot quicker. I mean, he's down 20 pounds and, and probably the best quote of the day. <laughs> I might have to see if I can find it and, and put it on Twitter at some point. Uh, but I don't want to embarrass David Ogwebu, but it's all in good fun. But <laughs> Reggie, Grimes, Reggie Grimes said, quote, DU was a sandwich away from being fat last year. <laughs> Subjectively uh, hilarious. Yeah, I, we all laughed. We all laughed. At, <clears throat> we all laughed. Had a good time at the expense of David Aguebu. But like, but it's also okay because he's a he's a college football player. He yeah, but also like, if you're if you're a sandwich away from being fat and you're a middle linebacker, a Division One middle linebacker, and and you're able in the offseason to shed twenty pounds and still probably be like a Greek god shredded. Yeah, like, does it really matter? Who cares if you were a sandwich no. away from being fat? No, of course no. it doesn't. Not, not at all. Uh, uh, do you have any takeaways for media day? I know you weren't there. Uh, I don't know if you have followed any media, and, and it's okay to say no. no I do have some I, other thoughts know, and tidbits if you want it. This is the media day followed the script of a lot of them. To be honest with you, you know, it's it's more of just kind of like a rite of passage to kick off. That's just, that's, that's just when you know that this is the week that's that, that, that fall practice starts. Um, a lot of the time, right. People are just, are, are just going to give you the canned answer. There's going to give you, they're going to give you the coached answers. I don't think that's anywhere near as much as it was in the prior regime where they, where they absolutely told the players what they could answer and they couldn't answer. That was fairly, that's fairly totally clear. based off of your opinion. There's no evidence of that, but just wanted to put that out there. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying just because I watched a lot of them and they all said the exact same thing with the same talking points every single time. It was pretty obvious that they got coaching. It's like a hostage video every time? It's just, yeah, it's like they don't, it's, you can tell when like a 19-year-old kid who isn't set, like, is saying something that he was told to say. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple other notes. I'll, I, I want to move on to the next thing. So I'll just, the, the last thing from yesterday, and I wish I would have grabbed the exact quote I'll try to find it again. Maybe I'll post this online. But uh, I was thinking, because DeMarco Murray was available, all the assistant coaches were available. And I was thinking, like, I don't think I've asked, or I don't think anybody of us have asked DeMarco Murray about how Jeff Lebby's offense obviously is, is super fast. And I asked him, it's like, hey, like, do you think back to the 2008 offense under Kevin Wilson because that you played in? I mean, and think like, do you compare and contrast? And like, what are the similarities and differences? And uh, DeMarco, you can kind of tell he kind of lit up a little bit. They're like, oh, yeah, hey, yeah, 2008, that was fun. Uh, but uh, he said something to the effect of, I thought we went fast back in the day, and then I saw Lebby's offense. So this offense is even faster than the old Kevin Wilson it 2008. Is. Definitely yeah. is. They get, and I, I think they're, they're just as fast to line up. This offense snaps it a lot quicker than the other one. The other one was definitely more of a lineup fast, just so the other team couldn't substitute and then look at me on the sideline. This one is definitely we just picked up the first down and now we are we, we're running ISO really really yeah. fast as 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 fast as we possibly can. All right, let's move on. I know that you texted me yesterday about Oklahoma's schedule, at least the first half. Is that something that you want to talk about on this podcast, or did you want to save it for later? I, we can save it for later, but I just um, we give us go a little into, bit of a tease. 
Yeah, it's more of a tease. It's just more in depth on it. And I just I wanted to look at the schedule because I, I I think relative to other schedules that OU has had, this is a pretty easy one. This is one of the lighter schedules they've had that I've seen. Um, and a lot of it has to do with just the Big 12 on paper is just not particularly strong this year. Um, competitive and particularly interesting or potentially interesting are totally different than difficult. Um, I, I just... I. There's there's not a team that stands out to me that is just like oh god this is a team that OU should be just terrified of uh, like on on paper let me reemphasize on paper going into the year and so I think that has a lot a lot to do with this um but there's a stretch Lee and OU schedule that I think is is a little it's it's pretty unique and I it's something I don't know if I've really ever seen before but I think there's actually a really good chance Lee that they are going to be playing from weeks three through fives. And so that's games number three, four, and five against Nebraska, at Nebraska, uh, versus Kansas State, and then at TCU. I think they're going to be playing, there's a decent chance that consecutively they're going to be playing a 3-0 and team in three straight weeks. And so with Nebraska, they play week zero, so they're going to be playing, they play three games before OU plays them. And they're definitely going to be favored in all likelihood in all three of their games. They open with Nebraska and then play uh, a couple of mid-majors after that. Will they be favored? Uh, Kansas State, who I think, um, who have you know, gunned to my head right now, is probably my pick to finish second in the Big 12. Uh, they come to Norman, and I think they probably have, on paper, the most star power in the league going into the year. They're likely to be 3-0 and because they're, they're probably going to be favored in their first three games of the season. And then they have to go on the road on October 1st to TCU. And TCU, they uh, they they have a bye within the first four weeks of their season. But they have a very, very easy schedule their first three games. So they're likely to be 3-0 and going into that game. Um, and so I just think it's kind of an interesting quirk where it's, it's there's a decent chance they're going to be playing a 3-0 and team in three consecutive years. Two of three of those games are going to be on the road. And of course, after TCU is Texas. So you ask me, that's that's very clearly the toughest four game stretch of their of their season. Games three through six. And I think they're we're gonna find out a ton about this team during that stretch. Yeah. Yeah, and here's the thing. I mean, for you know, months you look at the schedule and the first two games you see UTEP Kent State, and you know, those are you know, throwaway opponents, but this isn't the UTEP of five years ago that came into Norman and was one of the worst teams in college football. Uh, this UTEP team went to a bowl game last year. Uh, I don't know what they have coming back, but it's a it's a school that's coming off a bowl game. So if honestly, this isn't the you know two and ten one and eleven UTEP. Yeah, honestly though, them even go, they're they're still one of the worst teams in college football. Even 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 bowl team. Okay, but I'm just it, it's interesting that this isn't you know it's not it, it's not it really is. I mean they're going to be. I mean you can't just make a bowl game out of nowhere. They're better uh, than the 2017 UTEP version. Yeah. Relatively speaking, they're not that far away from the 2017. Like, I'm not saying that Oklahoma should be concerned about maybe getting beat by UTEP. I'm just pointing it out that this is not 2017 UTEP that was maybe going to win two games if they got lucky. Uh, and then Kent State, I guess Kent State made it to the MAC title game last year. I'm I'm much more I'm much more quote so unquote concerned about Kent State. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I guess they lost their quarterback. I mean, we'll talk about these teams as we get closer and closer, obviously. But I was doing some really brief, quick research. But point being is that, yeah, these are two games that are supposed to be wins for Oklahoma, and they should be wins. But at least they're not like 
just absolutely horrible FCS teams. I mean, it, it could be something where we somewhat, you know, learn something about this team before they go to play Nebraska in week three. I think it's, uh, I think yeah. it's likely that UTEP is going to be uh, drastically terrible. Is probably going to be just like <laughs> by our eyes, just as bad as the 2017 team. Um, Kent State, I think, is interesting because they have they have an offense last season that put up good numbers, and they are a heavy tempo offense as well. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. But also just has from one a, of the worst defenses, I guess, in college yes, football. Yes, very much so. And so I think that's interesting, just from a hey, OU defense, a lot of experience on this OU defense, brand new scheme going against this Kent State offense that has a lot of tempo and had a lot of success with that tempo a season ago. That's what I'm most interested in. I'm, I'm expecting UTEP to be absolutely terrible. Kent State, less so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting uh, part about the, the schedule. You gotta, I mean, you're talking up K-State quite a bit. I mean, I like K-State. I still haven't done a deep dive into them yet, but you gotta, somebody's got to explain to me, why is their win total six and a half? I mean, if, if they have all this talent, you know, they have all these guys in the Big 12 preseason team or whatever, why is their total at only six? I mean, it's because they're last still, year's like I, last year's total like was a pretty easy over, and it was. It went over, I think, by a game and a half. Maybe uh, is this another easy over for K State at six and a half? I think it is. I think it is because they just because um, I think they bring back good, important players at the most important positions. And I guess to answer why it's still six and a half because those all those other positions, it's still just Kansas State. Probably their players aren't that good in all likelihood. Yeah. But I do know Deuce Vaughn is awesome. Deuce Vaughn is extremely good. I know that. I know they bring back. I know they bring back a majority of their starters on the offensive line, including guys who have started a lot of games. Um, I'm a guy. I'm I'm an Adrian Martinez believer. Gun to my head, I whoa, would. Whoa, 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 whoa! Really? I thought like I thought I was the big Adrian Martinez guy in this podcast. I I'm not sure. I but I think going into the season. I think I would take Adrian Martinez as the second best quarterback in the Big 12 going into the season uh, behind Dylan Gabriel. I Just based off what we know, I think whoa, Adrian whoa. Martinez and Spencer Sanders, in terms of resume, are essentially as identical as college quarterbacks as you possibly can get. My eye test says that Adrian Martinez is quite a bit better, though. What do you think about that? I wonder if Adrian Martinez has had a game as good, though, as... Sanders had in, in that bowl game against Notre Dame. I mean, Sanders was really good in that game. Has Adrian Martinez played a game ever that good? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. Especially against an opponent that good. I mean, that was a good Notre Dame team. I know. I mean, I know it was a it's a bowl game and it wasn't a playoff game, but still, I mean, you want to win, and uh, so yeah. I mean, I, I I'm I'll, I'll say that. I mean, I'm very interested in Adrian Martinez and at K State in a different. A different system, different culture. Uh, I mean, if I'm a K State fan, I'm I'm pretty excited that you go from Skylar Thompson to Adrian Martinez. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Because I know Will Howard is. Uh, I don't know if I'd be very confident if, if Will Howard was their starting guy. I guess like year. I get where, where where why I like Kansas State, and you know I can only compare them right to all the other contenders in the conference. And so like when I hear. Other people, other outside people talking about the conference, national people, other people more like regional people talking about giving their explanations as to why Baylor's going to win the conference or Oklahoma State's going to win the conference. Pretty much all I hear is that I have faith in Dave Aranda. They did this last year. I have faith in Dave Aranda. Mike Gundy's been doing this for 15, 16 years. I have faith in, I, I have faith in him to get this done. La-di-da-di-da. 
Um, and so basically everyone is just essentially telling me they're using motivated reasoning to tell me, I think these teams are going to win the conference because I have faith in their head coach. And I just have to ask the question, what, why don't you have faith in Chris Kleiman? Who I think is, I, I like, I'm Dave Rand. I think is great. Clearly a great coach is, is a really, really good coach still right now in terms of head coaches in college football that have actually coached a game. I'm taking Chris Kleiman of the group in the Big 12. It's not even close for me. Not even close. Chris Kleiman, wait, say, say that again real quick. Of all of the Big 12 head coaches that have coached a game in college, so I'm, I'm removing Brent Venables from this and Joey McGuire and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Of the, of the, of the pool that remains, I'm taking Chris Kleiman out of that pool. Of who Over I'm, Dave of, Aranda? Yeah, of who I have. Yeah. Chris, when was the last time that... Uh, has Chris Kleiman had a one-win season in the last two years? Well, no, but wait. So, Dave, yeah, I guess I guess Baylor was his first year. with they were they weren't were they like three and seven or something? Uh, it was it was. Uh, they, I think they they won one Big Twelve game. So what that it was a COVID year. So I don't know COVID year, but also COVID year, but also they had all of the exact same players. They just won the Big Twelve with. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to your point, Kleiman's got. A longer resume, sure, and he's obviously I, been a head Chris coach Kleiman for a lot is, is, longer. Is too. one of the best coaches in college football, bar none. He, and he's got, he's got, he's got the second best running back in college football, Deuce Vaughn. He's got a capable, he's got a capable quarterback, and he's got, he's got some star power back on defense. I like that. That scares the how crap you, out of me. How can you I'm, make the claim that Deuce Vaughn's the second best running back in college football? You know how many running backs there are in college football. On how paper, could you possibly know about on paper in terms of on paper in terms of resume, what they've done, what they've right, yeah, like in, going into this season in terms of what they have accomplished on the field. Bijan Robinson and Deuce and, and uh, Bijan Robinson and, and Deuce Vaughn, not even really close. By far, the two best in the country. I mean, isn't there? There's got to be some. Some awesome guys in the SEC that are guys who are talented, yeah. But sweet, track record, yeah. no way. I don't know. No way, man. Okay, uh, yeah. So I mean, that's that's interesting. Yeah, we'll talk about that as we go on. Uh, I'll, I'll just bring this up. I don't know how much we want to talk about it, but I just I want to be clear. So we were talking NIL last week for a bit, and so I just want to make my stance on everything kind of clear. And I know that you just don't agree on this, but. My whole thing with NIL and these collectives and whatnot, and the reason why I'm not too, well, I'm not that worried about NIL. It's going to, you know, whatever's going to happen, happen. But I'm just, as far as money into these collectives, in my mind, people that have donated money to Oklahoma athletics over the years are just now going to donate money to these collectives if that's how they're going to get players. And, how, and so. You know, you see Oklahoma just, uh, they announced today they brought in $109 million in donations to their, uh, I think, athletic department. That's, that's a record. And so, in my mind, the money's going to keep coming in. The only question is that where I would be wrong is if these people feel like there's no incentive or there's no, there's no benefit for them to give the money to the collective instead of the school. So... In my mind, like you give this money to the collective or whatever, like you're still going to get the same benefits that you've always gotten anyways by donating money to Oklahoma. There's, I mean, Oklahoma's going to find a way to hook you up. They're going to give you your tickets and they're going to give you your whatever, all the favor you want with the coach and all this stuff. Like whatever you need, and that, not just Oklahoma, all the different schools. And so that's why I think the money for these things is going to keep coming in, coming in with no problem at all. And I know that you just don't see it that way. And I just want to make make it clear, like where I stand. I'm just guessing. I don't I don't have any background. I'm just. 
in my mind, like, again, people have lots of money. They want to see their football team or their school do well. If this is the new way to potentially see your team do well, then the money's going to start getting funneled to this new thing instead of going to this other thing. That's kind of where I'm at. But you're not, but like, I, I think where you go wrong is that you're, you're struggling to think of, of ways where this could be an issue or where things could go wrong. And like, that's where like, I, I think one of your blind spots is, is that you think that the only way that a bad contract could exist is if there's somebody who is acting in bad faith in that. And I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think like, even with these collectives, like my point was it's rich people who are putting these things together. You don't become rich by 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 creating bad contracts that are not that are not beneficial to you see but as a collective i guess the way i look at it is if if you're somebody that wants to start that or wants to run one of those i mean uh, in your mind everything that you're doing for this collective it's not necessarily for you it's for your school and so if you do something that's bad or wrong that doesn't exist this 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 idea of i'm going to do this out of the kindness of my heart I'm so rich and I'm I, I'm not going to get a dime from this. I'm going to do this out of the kindness of my that, those people don't exist. But I'm not saying that you're not getting anything out of it. I'm, I'm saying that these people are going to be getting the same exact stuff they've always gotten, always gotten from the school. They're going to be still getting the same type of things, except now that if this is the way to get players that everybody else is doing, this is where their money will be donated instead. And I'm saying rich people see an opportunity like this and they think, oh, this is a way that I can keep influence. I'm going to take it for sure, which is what they were probably doing anyway when they were just, you know, giving mm-hmm. McDonald's ba- bags to kids, whatever. Are you, you tell me a rich person who has made their life getting rich and making good decisions financially is just going to be like, yeah, I'm I'm going to put I'm going to put forth contracts that are only beneficial to this to this group. I'm not even going to try to make money off of this at all. People don't get rich by making decisions like that, man. So, so I, th- I think the disconnect here is that you think that these, these, this money is being don't like. I'm talking about these donations to the school. Like, this is 109 million dollars raised for the athletic department. That the only favor they're getting is like in form of probably tickets and stuff, and like things like uh, maybe they can call Brent Venables or something, or maybe they can go to a cool event. Okay, that's incentive for them, but like they know, like they're not getting any sort of financial back. I mean, they're not getting any money back except for, I guess, ticket prices. That's what I'm saying. Is uh, like the the bagman and whatever, all that stuff. I mean, that's. I mean, they're not getting any money for that. Like they're giving their money away to these kids that they hope. Uh, they I think go to the school. If if you think there aren't people on the other end of these collectives that are making money off of it, I I I find that extraordinarily hard to believe extraordinarily hard to believe so uh, m- maybe you're right i, I the way i look like at non- it is it's- like nonprofits, like le- like in the real world the nonprofits, which is what which is what these collectives are exist solely to pay the people that are in charge of them that is why sure. they exist I, like I, as a legal no, entity I, that's why they exist in in real terms i guess what i'm saying is that if you're in my mind, everybody that's involved with this, these types of collectives, in my mind, are people that love the school, and they have discretionary income to donate to the school. Two things can be the, true at once. What do you mean? You can set up this collective with the intention of, we're going to use this collective to funnel this, you know, to funnel this money to these players who, who deserve it or, or who want it to, to come to the school, but also, because I am a smart businessman and I did not become rich by being stupid, 
I am still going to create a regular boilerplate contract that is not just going to hand over hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to this kid. I'm going to I'm going to attach strings to this, whether or not they be appearances or things you have to do with charities or mm. whether or not it's appearances on the field or certain stats or certain whatever or certain however you you know whatever metric you want to use to measure your value to the team yeah that stuff absolutely would exist under this stuff and what i'm suggesting and this is not i'm not i'm not just pulling this out of thin air this is stuff that other people who are connected have suggested as well that when these kids are being recruited to these schools the strings attached to these deals are not really being talked about they're more being talked about in terms of guaranteed money. When actually, sure, yeah. and, 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 I, and I know you're going to push back on me and saying, if you sign that contract, that's on you. And like I, to a certain extent, I agree with that. But there would not be a market in this country, in this world, whatever, for lawyers looking over contracts, basic contracts, if it wasn't easy to take advantage of somebody who was a layman who didn't understand legalese in it. Yeah, and I think everything you said there is totally fair. And of course, it would make sense to have contracts like that if, it, if it's going to benefit you in the long run. What I'm saying, though, is that all it takes is for a collective to dupe a kid or dupe a family, whether it's intentional or not, even though, again, uh, I guess to, to pair what you said, yeah, I mean, if you, if you sign a contract, you sign a contract. You got to read through the whole thing. That's on you. But... There's incentive for these collectives to not do anything that's going to make anybody mad because all it takes is one bad instance and this school all of a sudden is not going to get guys anymore. And then everybody's mad at these guys and they've ruined their football program. And that's where, <laughs> because, and that's where I think you assume bad faith and that's where I'm saying like this was so quickly put together. There was no, there's no playbook for this. It's it's it I don't can easily be as explained I, as just a bunch of people. I don't assume bad faith. I assume people are thinking we can't mess this up because if we do, our entire program could go down the drain. Therefore, let's make sure we do it right because we're not stupid. That's what I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm questioning how faith. realistic it is to do it right when this nil thing dropped like at this time last summer, and then a week later, Texas A and M had it set up. Well, do you, it think, wasn't do, whole, do you think it's do you think it's do you, like do you think it's realistic to to maybe think or maybe to suggest that possibly like I said in the last one they didn't have all their ducks in a row and that everything isn't super tight and they haven't been super thoughtful with this. Well, sure. I mean, there's going to be some bumps in the road and and, and like and, there, I, but, and I think you like you always go towards there's so much money involved. How could that not be the case where people don't and like I it's this is a lot. This is a big thing. There's going to be like. People are going to make mistakes. You have to you have to be in the real world. And you have to make mistakes before you can correct things and realize what is the right thing to do. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I just I, I I think this this it could cause a lot of problems that a lot of people just are not looking at. And, All right. But my and like my where I'm at right now is not to say scrap the whole thing, go back to whatever. Like that's not going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle. The reason I bring this up is because I'm looking at it more now of, is this OU's opportunity to create, to carve a niche? Because I'll be on, like, I don't, here's, here's like, I, I want to win national championships. I want to be the best program, the best college football program in the country. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. If OU does that by just spending the most money, it's going to feel a little cheap. 
hundred percent. Well, and and I guess what I end up coming back to is that you can spend all the money you want. You still got to develop it, the players, and the players got to get good, and you got to have a good system. And it's not gonna. It, this isn't basketball, you know. Like where there's fewer players on the court, and one guy can change your entire outlook. I mean, football is just different. Uh, I mean, it's kind of similar to baseball. I mean, yeah, you can buy a lot of good players in baseball, then guarantee you're gonna win the World Series. Gives you a good, pretty good chance, but didn't guarantee it. You still got to perform, and so that's why I, I just I don't get too worked up about the money thing because it's it's hard, man. It's hey, a hard it brings sport. up uh, one thing that we um we didn't bring up because I thought um one of my takeaways from media day is that one of the best recruiting quotes I've ever seen in college football came from Todd Bates yesterday about oh, yeah, about I know five stars. Talking about and um did, did did you say that you have it in the rundown? in there uh no i I'm, i know what quote you're talking about though i was uh yeah i i was there when he said it but yeah i mean it was there was it was it was a quote that was full of wisdom that was really smart and he was talking about five-star players and he was saying hey if you don't sign a five-star if you miss out on them they might they may beat you once or twice but if you sign the wrong five-star he may beat you every single day oh <laughs> you just got todd bates and like i uh, i don't I don't no. know how you can't like that. That quote is so, and and I'm I am certain that he probably was not he he was not he did not have a certain program or regime in his mind when he was saying that. But that absolutely tracks with what the previous regime was was up to. Trajan Bridges, oh, yeah, freaking I, I mean yeah. Tra, Trajan Bridges is, is obviously just the poster child of that. Like you can't even. Yeah. Jaden, I mean Jason Hayes, Jaden Hazelwood too. Jaden Hazelwood never got in trouble at OU. He was like, I mean, he was he was always a, a you know, he he always behaved well. He did great. He was a, he was a good ambassador for the program. He won very good. Yeah, he's always injured. He couldn't stay healthy. Theo Weiss, he's the last the last walking one of that group. He's got the last one, and also is the guy like twenty twenty Theo Weiss was way better than twenty twenty one Jaden Hazelwood. Oh yeah, yeah. Drop touchdowns and all. Let's uh, let's talk Gotta about get the national open to drop scene. Touchdown passes. <laughs> let's talk about the national scene. I, I pulled a couple of interesting clips. So uh, you know, national media members doubting Oklahoma. It's been a theme ever since Lincoln Riley left. We get it. I mean, there, there's definitely some some reasons that are fair, and there's some other things that maybe people aren't thinking about. And so I'm gonna play a couple of clips. We'll start with let's see. Want to get this podcast name correct? It's called. Always college football with Greg McElroy. And I normally listen to, you know, the Stanford Steve on ESPN and, and the Bear, uh, Chris Fel- Felica or Fel- however you pronounce his name. I think it's I Falica. The, just to, really just, fa- just to get it, it right. Felica. I thought it was Falica. I'm pretty. Falica is much, is, is much more satisfying to say, so I think we should. I'm we pretty should sure stick it's Felica. That. It's actually kind of funny here because I'm looking at the podcast on, online and. His name is spelled differently in the title of the podcast compared to the description of the podcast. In the title of the podcast, it's, it looks like it's Follica, but if you look at the description, it spells F-E-L-L, which looks like to me like Felica. Anyways, who cares? <laughs> More importantly, who cares? Anyway, like so he, uh, the bear was on with Greg McElroy, and they were talking about some over-under win totals for some teams, and Oklahoma came up. And so I pulled the, the bit from the episode where he's talking about OU, and I'll play it now. And Oklahoma is a team that I did play under nine and a half. 
Uh, and it's not because I oh. don't think Brent Venables isn't going to be a good head coach. Um, it, it's because I, you know, you look at Oklahoma's schedule, and there have been some Oklahoma fans who are, are like, "Oh, there's no way they don't win ten games." And where are they going to lose? And I'm like, "Where are they going to lose? Texas, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, Nebraska, Kansas State. Like, 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 take your pick. Like, even with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams last year." No team in the country won more games decided by a touchdown or less than Oklahoma. Like, are they going to do that again with a roster that, yes, I know the the Dylan Gabriel, Jeff Levy connection going back to UCF, but you lose a majority of your playmakers. You lose almost your entire defense. Uh, it, it's a team that won a bunch of close games last. Are you going to do that again? And they've been upset by, by Kansas State as a big favorite before. They've been upset by Iowa State as a big favorite before. It happened. They, they very easily could have lost to Nebraska last year, very easily could have lost to Texas last year. Are they going to win these close games again? So uh, I, I got I got Oklahoma at under 9.5 at minus 110, so uh, I feel pretty good about that. So that is the Bear from ESPN College Game Day. Uh, he is all over OU under 9.5 wins. So first off, I'll start here. He references six games that Oklahoma could lose. Texas, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, Nebraska, Kansas State. All right, so sure, I could jump all over him for that, but I'm not going to take much umbrage with that at this point because we haven't seen Oklahoma play yet. Okay, fair. We haven't seen him play. Neither has he, uh, even though my gut is telling me that going into those games – I'd be uneasy about Oklahoma's chances against maybe Oklahoma State and perhaps Texas just because, and maybe Kansas State uh, because I do like Chris Kleiman, the aforementioned Chris Kleiman. And also, what if Nebraska finally out of nowhere figures it out under Scott Frost and that game is on the road in Lincoln and that's going to be a crazy home crowd. Uh, So I don't think at this point it's egregious to say OU could lose some of those games to some of those teams. It's just, Grant, and it's whatever he talks about how last season Oklahoma lost all those – I'm sorry, last season Oklahoma won so many close games last season as evidence for how this season may be more difficult for the Sooners. And he starts going into that, and that's where I kind of think, ah, not so fast, my friend. I think this is where there's going to be a disconnect between uh, those of us who are on this program, you know, day in day out and those like him who work for ESPN and, and obviously has to know a, you know a little bit about every team so uh, where do you stand where do you want to jump in I'm more like so I'm obviously like I I, I have I kind of some issue with a lot of his his logic there but I think a lot of his logic is sound for if you're if you're trying to explain why you think OU is going to go nine and three I mean it's it's that's fine if that's if that's the way that he feels I think it's a little lazy because what I think he's doing, and, the, and like I, I, I'm, I think I'm being a little more charitable here. I think, I think Falica is a guy who is, like you said, he, he, he probably needs to know a little bit about every single college program, at least from like a gambling perspective. And he's a guy who, who does live within the gambling perspective. And I, I, I do really think that he is looking at this as a numbers type thing. The main reasoning that he gives is because they went ten and two last year, and they were lucky to go ten and two. That that's his main reasoning. He's using last year's results as the main reasoning there, which like I understand, but I think the flaw in that is that that doesn't necessarily grant to OU that they're OU. It's like he's it's like he's he's analyzing them like they're like they're TCU basically. 
Like TCU went ten and two last year, and they were and by their second order wins, they were lucky to go ten and two, and they have this production that I perceive to be gone. That is now that's that's no longer there, and so TCU can't sustain that, and so TCU is obviously going to finish below that. I think that's more of what his logic is here. He's using he's he, he's using very very normal gambling over under logic for for analyzing programs that are not Oklahoma or Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia or that's that's kind of where I think he goes wrong there. And also hmm. uh, just another thing, him saying that they lose their entire defense. No, I'm sorry, they lost three starters off their defensive line and bring everybody else back. That's that's that is actually the the truth. That is what is happening. So yeah, I wanted to touch on that. And so since you brought it up, I'll, I'll touch on that as well. I mean, so he says entire defense. What's he referring to? He's, you know, Benito, Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, Brian Osamoa, Delarian Turner Yo. So I mean, that's that's more than what you said. I mean, that's 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 five. That's five strong stars. I mean, throwing Pat Fields, that's six right yeah, there. I, mean, I, I so- and like I I get it. I, I I understand that stuff. Like I get it. Obviously, I, I'm not happy that Benito and Thomas and and um, and Winfrey are gone. I just DTY what DTY played in seven games last year. Brian Os- Brian Osimo, I, like I'm like he was good at the end he of the season. He was good for half the year. year. For half Brian Osimo was, yeah. was one of the most inconsistent. At, like at, his production over the course of 2021 will not be missed this season because he was <laughs> not that productive of a player. Period. Well, the last half of the year he was. The first half of the year, not not so much. And so, like, I, I think this is why, I mean, to your point, this is why our knowledge of OU football really helps to combat that point because, you know, we talked about these guys earlier in the show, Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes. You and I are pretty excited about those two. I know that their resumes aren't very long, but uh, just the the potential is there. And with the new coaching staff, the defensive-minded coaching staff, we, we think that they can be you know, pretty darn good. Uh, you know, I like the transfers of Jonah Laulu and Jeffrey Johnson. Those are two players that have a lot of experience, have played really well. And I mean, at lower tier programs, but now they're coming to Oklahoma and you would think that the production would be uh, would be there at least. I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Jalen Redmond, the aforementioned Jalen Redmond, maybe he finally gives Oklahoma a full season. He's at full strength, full speed. Uh, he's got Todd Bates as his position coach, you know, in a, in a Brent Venables defense. That's exciting. And then you go through these, these names on the defensive line that we'll talk about all throughout fall camp and all throughout the season. Jordan Kelly, Josh Ellison, Corey Roberson, Isaiah Coe, Kelvin Gilliam, Marcus Stripling. I mean, these are players that we know about, and we know that they can perform at times. And now they're surrounded by better defensive coaching, uh, not to mention one of the best strength coaches in college football. Uh, the defensive line has a chance to be really, really good in 2022. It's just... It's after the defensive line, you get to Deshaun White and David Oguebu. Played a lot of games. I mean, there's a lot of experience at linebacker, a lot of inconsistent experience. Uh, then you got Danny Stutzman, who played a lot last year. You got transfer TD Roof, who played a lot of college games. Uh, you know, we'll see how he fits in. Uh, I know he's a player that I think they're going to try to play a decent amount just because of his experience. But like this the is the most experienced though, defense in the Big 12. Most experienced defense in the Big 12. Really? It might be. I mean, the linebackers, though, are the key. I mean, that's the key to it all because uh, at least, I mean, ask Brent Venables. He said it yesterday. He said that the linebacker group needs to be the heart and soul of the defense, of the team, really. He actually said the team, not just the defense. So, I mean, like we have ever since Brent Venables got, or at least I have, I'm not, I'm not going to talk for you, but I'm putting a lot of stock into coaching, 
Brent Venables is one of the best in the game. He coaches linebackers. Uh, and then finally in the secondary, uh, you'll see, we'll see what Jay Villai and Brandon Hall can do with all those bodies back there. But uh, so like that's kind of what I was thinking in terms of when he mentioned the defense as well. Uh, but I had some other thoughts as well that I want to get. I mean, uh, speaking of, you know, knowing the team really well, and, like, and I think more to your point, because you were talking about like, oh, they're, he's discussing Oklahoma like it's TCU or some, like a team of that magnitude. And so I think that, you know, a big disconnect is uh, the Bear talking about all the close wins last year. In my mind, Oklahoma a season ago, they had no business playing close games against Tulane and Nebraska and West Virginia and Kansas. Like, we found out after the year they were distracted and it was dysfunctional all year long. And so whenever he uses that as evidence of like, well, are they going to be able to, to you know, eke those games out again in 2022? Because, I mean, they should have lost so many more in 2021. My response to be, uh, would be that at this time, what I've seen from this team's mindset, the culture, the team identity, I feel pretty darn good about Oklahoma in any sort of close game. That, sure, if they are in a close game, I feel pretty good about them right now. And further, unlike last year, against opponents that Oklahoma – should beat based on just straight talent alone and not just beat but beat comfortably i'm even more confident that this oklahoma team will not find itself in close games against those scrub type teams unlike a season ago and in times in previous years under lincoln riley and again this is all just me guessing because we haven't seen them play yet but i'd like to think that's an educated guess at this point so that would be my pushback to to that point he tried to make yeah that's good that's good. You know, I, um, what about offense? You said that, you know, they lost all their playmakers on offense. You have any, did you have any pushback on that at all? Uh, yeah. I mean, they lost, he's, he's referencing Kennedy Brooks and Caleb Williams. That's Mario literally Williams, the only two. person he's referencing. Like those are the only two people he's referencing, which, well, you know, Mar- I, I mean, Mario counts too. Not really. I mean, he was, he was inconsistent, but I mean, in, in terms of, I mean, he could use that if he, it's nice. Yeah, I case, would, right? I would like him. I mean, it, it'd be nice if he was back, but, I, I mean, that's as and, and like I, I don't think a lot of national people know who Theo Weiss is. I, I, I don't think that that is known that he's a known entity, which I, I think that's fair. That's fine. I, I think we should be a little charitable for that. Heck, I mean, Marvin Mims is kind of unknown too, <laughs> and that's and I, I think that's where it gets, um, and, and maybe that's where I like I just kind of get a little apoplectic about things because I'm I, I'm assuming that Marvin Mims is the best receiver in the Big Twelve. Um, cause I, I, I sincerely believe that he is, and we're probably about to see that this year. Um, man, that'd be so cool. That would be so cool. He's such a good dude. I want that guy to have a good, I, it's just, it's, it's not like, I mean, every time you throw him the ball, something good happens. That was the case a season ago. That was the case his freshman year. Um, I don't know. There was, there was, uh, last year was super weird. It was obvious that for whatever reason, he was not as big of a part of the offense. And that was intentional. And I, I just I don't know what's going on. And, and I know that Jaden Hazelwood was getting targets taken away from him. Or, I mean, Jaden Hazelwood was taking targets away from Marvin Mims, which is insane because Marvin Mims is way better than Jaden Hazelwood. So I have to ask what's going on. <laughs> kind of curious to see what Jaden Hazelwood does at Arkansas. I like Jaden Hazelwood. I hope he does well. I do, well. too. Uh, I do, too. I, he, did, he did everything right. He didn't do it. Yeah. Like, it's... And I... And like we'll I see. And there, there's a lot of you know, a lot of rumors out there. He wasn't he wasn't super happy with Lincoln Riley either, and so it is he. I probably best for him just a clean start anywhere. And like I hope he has a good season. I don't think that's very likely though. I, I think it's likely he doesn't do much this year. 
Because one, Arkansas didn't throw the ball that much, and also I I don't know if Jaden Hazelwood is that good. Yeah, I don't. I mean, he, all the explosiveness that he had out of high school, and we had you know we saw a little bit in 2019. I think that that knee injury it, it messed with him. I mean, maybe more time has gone by, so maybe he's he's more healthy and he's fast again. But he just wasn't very fast. Like he just wasn't very explosive. And you know, in 2019, his his very small you know bits of time he looked pretty explosive at times uh, and then you know he got banged up all right i got one more clip to play this one's a little longer it's from the uh let's see what's the technical name of the show rj bell's dream preview and rj bell's a guy i've been listening to for years uh I, i'll say full disclosure he's he's annoying he's an annoying host um uh, the other guy that you're going to hear on the show his name is aj hoffman and this is a betting podcast and they're talking about uh, you know their top ten college football teams coming into the season. I think Oklahoma was ranked. I think this is all AJ Hoffman, by the way. RJ's kind of just there to bust his balls and push back. Uh, this AJ guy is there to give his rankings. I think he has OU at number seven, I believe, but that's irrelevant for this conversation. Uh, they're discussing over unders and they discuss a lot of other things. But I will say at the start, the first thing they bring up and they talk about it for about half the clip. It's an interesting thing that we really haven't talked about much. Uh, since Brent Venables has gotten to Oklahoma and I haven't heard many other people talk about this in general around you know Oklahoma football media so uh, this is kind of interesting and again it's kind of long so bear with us but I wouldn't play it if I didn't think it was interesting for you guys what he's never dealt with before Jeff Lebby's offense which is very very fast Melds. So fast by number of plays, how quickly number of plays per take, game, how long they let the play clock run down to. Yeah, Ole Miss last year averaged eighty and a half plays per game. Wow, they were, they were that's the fourth, great research. Fourth fastest team in the country. So it looks like based on if this, and I, I don't buy into spring games as much as some people mm-hmm. do, but the spring game, which was a forty-eight minute game, had sixty-seven plays. All right, so convert that to the sixty minutes, and it's eighty-five plays. So even higher than what he did at Ole Miss. Uh, let's be clear. Last year, the number one team in the country, Wake Forest, you got that? Yep. 81.4 plays. <sighs> so this means the distance, the three and a half plays that they'd be ahead is like the difference between number one and like number eight or nine, right? So it's like we're talking about, now again, it's a spring game. But sure? If anything, you think they'd be slower in a spring game because they're not as a, I mean, this guy just came in a month ago or whatever. Yeah. So this is a sign, this is either a fugazi and they're trying to fool people or it's a statement of intent. Yeah. I would think if, if you were. I don't think he's trying to fool people. I don't either. It might be problematic this year if they go super fast. But, boy, for long term. You think long term it's a good thing. I, I mean, think about how good team. I guess even if Brett Venable's defense isn't as great as it was at Clemson, but the offense is that much if they if they turn into an well, offensive how juggernaut. As much as, Clemson's like one of the top five recruiters in the country. Right. And I don't think Venable's is going to be that. I don't think so either. Don't forget, Bob Stoops, in the last 10 years, wasn't – I mean, listen – we can say it wasn't impressive. It wasn't. He wasn't a championship contender. He wasn't big game Bob anymore. Yeah, and I'll tell you this right now. I mean, obviously Lincoln Riley w- had better results than any. I mean, how many years was he there? Three or four? 
four, I believe. I would make the case. It was. He, I bet if you look at any four years, and Bob had a championship, but you look at any four years and add up their AP finish, the theory is the lowest number is the best. I don't think Bob had four years lower than what Lincoln was. Probably not. For. So, I mean, to some degree, going back in time, I'm not sure that's very smart. And let's not forget before Bob Stoops, there was a long stretch of futility any last points, and then let's do a pick. Uh, the, the last point is Oklahoma won 10 games last year, and well, not counting their bowl game against Oregon. But to win 10 games and expect them, to, their number set at 9.5 again this year. And what's your forced pick over under 9.5? Under 9.5. Is that a bet? Or it is a bet. Whew. All right. Gosh, so much there. Wow. I, I know. I know. And I, I thought about cutting it up, but it, t- it takes time. And I was like, yeah, I'll just play the whole thing. Uh, all right. So my so, first thought there is that okay, go ahead. Their discussion about tempo is is valuable and is is smart. is is an interesting discussion. So yeah. So let's start there. Let's start there and get that out of the way because the other part I know that there's there's some fun things to discuss. But let's start there. I just think it uh, there. It tracks a lot with my concerns. I I just I I do think I think tempo only works if your offense is good. If you're not a very good offense, tempo can screw up uh, quite a bit. Yeah, okay. And, I mean, my thought is surely Venables and Levy, they've talked about this behind closed doors. And, you know, and, and my hope during fall camp in the next month is to ask Levy about this, this situation because I don't think really it's been asked yet. Uh, didn't get a chance yesterday, and you know, it'd be nice to ask Venables about this you know, too. I, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably get a standard answer, but at least I want to get it on the record to see what they say. Uh, because, I mean, Clemson's offense, when Venables was there, it, it's not been a hurry-up, hyper fast-paced offense under Dabo Sweeney and so I think back to we talked about the 2008 season earlier Grant I mean Venables coached defense on that team on a super fast offense at Oklahoma one of the best offensive offenses of all time uh that Oklahoma Sooners defense in 08 though I mean it was really good it was very statistic but statistically though the stats don't necessarily bear that out though do they I mean they don't I mean they gave up a lot of points and that, that's honestly a bit of evidence that gives me a bit of pause uh, when considering Jeff Levy's offense, his, his style, his scheme, pairing it with Brent Venables' defense. I just don't know how this is going to work out. As much as I want to be excited about everything, this is, this is interesting. And it's something that, again, I don't know if anybody's really talked about much, and maybe we're not going to know much about it until we start seeing them in games. I guess yeah. My my thing with tempo is that I just I, I think it's something that is essentially a world ender once you already have a really good team. Um, so it's like if I, I feel like if you if you have an offense that is that is adept at moving the ball, completing forward passes already, just as a matter of competence, then you should add extreme tempo to your offense because then you'll be pretty much impossible to defend. Um, if 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 you're not if you already don't have that point that that part figured out. That just means that you're getting off the field a lot quicker, and the other offense gets the ball, right? And so that's what that's what I'm concerned about. Um, yeah, same, same. And I, I, it's, I'm, 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 I'm concerned about really, really quick three and outs, essentially, mm-hmm. and really, really quick three and outs. Just as a matter of just like kind of a football like rule, just don't really happen when your offense is extremely good. Just as just as a general rule. So like I, it's. It's like I, I understand. So like when RJ Bell is saying like, ah, I think it could be an issue this upcoming season, but going forward, it's good. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that because essentially he's saying what I'm saying is that 
tempo can really, really screw you up if you're not getting first downs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and my whole thing is going into this year, it's weird that the, the question mark, to me at least, is the offense. And for so many years, the question mark had been the defense. I'm confident that Brent Venables is going to make this defense better than it was last year. Not a very high bar. Last year's Oklahoma defense finished like in the 70s in total defense. It wasn't very good. Uh, there, at times it was good, but for the most part, it was, it was not that great. And so my hopes were kind of like, all right, this defense should be better. Maybe it can help cover up some limitations by the offense as it kind of comes along, comes along. But that'll be more difficult, though, if the offense is going three and out really fast and the defense can't. I mean, maybe they can help, but when they're on the field for 35 to 40 minutes a game, maybe, that's not going to help much if, if the offense can't, can't go. So uh, it's, yeah, I mean, again, this is something that we're going to be paying attention to once the season gets here, and I'm not sure how much we can solve now between now and September, whatever their first game is, third, or I can't remember. But, it's, uh, it's, certain, yeah, it's interesting. It, it's going to be interesting to find because I, you know, I told you before, man, I, I was watching a lot of 2015 Baylor this this past week and, and that offense, and, you know, before, before um, I can't think of his name, uh, Seth, whatever, their, their Seth. quarterback. Oh, I was thinking of Seth Luttrell, but that's not right. That's oh, the, gosh, I can't think. The North Texas but, coach. The guy who got hurt before Jared Stidham came in. Before they were averaging about 650 yards of offense a game in the first eight games of the year before Jared Stidham came in. Seth Russell. And Seth Russell. Thank you. I, I I don't know why I couldn't think of his name in the moment. I mean, um, I had to Google it because I wasn't watching OU football back then. Get out of here, man. And I'm, Seth. you know, when you go, that Baylor team went so fast. They went so, like very much to like, and Jeff Lebby was on that staff, and so they they go as fast as like I'm I'm assuming as fast as Jeff Lebby wants to go now. It's all about the quick runs after you get first downs, that's where you got to get your yards. If you get stuffed on those, you're screwed. Like, you're really behind the chains. And, um, like, that's the thing. Like, you know, get a first down, go really fast, you run an inside zone or ISO, you got to get four yards. Four or five yards, and you don't, you're really behind chains and you're behind schedule. And I don't necessarily love that. I'm, I'm much more of a pick-your-spots-to-go-fast guy. Not necessarily, like give the defense something to think about. Like, I, we don't really know when they're going to go fast, but when they do, we know we're in trouble type thing. Instead mm-hmm. of, ah, we always know they're going to go fast, and thus that kind of makes them predictable at times? Question mark? Yeah, no, it's wait and see. We have our, I, that's, we that's have our skepticism. Baylor, when I was watching, the, Baylor was really predictable on offense. They ran the ball m- most of the time. <laughs> like, I, it's... Because to go that fast, you kind of have to. That's really the like you have to have really simple plays that you can run over and over again. And a lot of times it's going to be an ISO or inside zone, something like that. All right, so now let's move on to the fun part, the fun parts of that uh, that bit. Because again, I I do think there's like I think you put it put it well. I think you said there's a lot of value in that first part, a lot of wisdom maybe. Uh, but the the last half though, when they started talking more about OU and that and and Venables, that was kind of fun. So I know that you noticed this. I'll bring. I mean. The part in the middle where they both said they don't think that Brent Venables will be able to recruit as well as Clemson recruits, uh, <laughs> that didn't age well, at least right now. I mean, I don't know if things no, you're can talking. change. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't pay attention to recruiting, clearly. And to be fair, I don't really either up until the last few weeks because it's been really interesting with Oklahoma. Uh, but, you know, as we speak, OU's number six in the composite rankings and Clemson is number seven. So... And also, I just want to point out, when Clemson was winning national championships, OU was out recruiting Clemson in a lot of those years, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. Because, I mean, Clemson hasn't necessarily been 
Clemson had one great, had right? one yeah. top ten class when they won their 2016 national championship. One in the previous four years. Hmm. That's great player development there. Whew. All on the defensive side too, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so there's that. That was kind of a fun little aside. But the topper for me was the praise for Lincoln Riley using a metric that is not backed up by facts. <laughs> Uh, like first off, like they didn't even know how many years Riley coached at OU. They they said four. Uh, it's five. I mean, I mean, it's it's a small thing, but I mean, come on, guys. Like, it's not like Riley. It, he he didn't coach at OU twenty years ago. I mean, he just he just left. I mean, it's pretty recent. Uh, but okay, so that's a small thing. But uh, RJ said that if you look at any four years between Lincoln Riley and when Bob Soups was a coach, any four years, and you compare their AP finishes that Lincoln Riley's numbers would be better than Bob Stoops. Any, any four. And so, I mean, obviously there's fewer years to pick from Lincoln Riley. But uh, you know what? I did the math because that seemed like a dubious comment to me. And, well, not surprisingly, he was wrong. Uh, Bob Stoops. Of course he was wrong. Yeah, of course he was wrong. Yeah, so uh, and it, in a weird way, it kind of works out that we, we can compare the first part of their careers as head coaches because – I mean, Bob's first handful of years were his best, and it stretched out longer. And obviously, we have a a smaller sample size with Lincoln Riley. But I even took away Lincoln Riley's worst season, which was last year. So let's just do four years, as RJ wanted to do. Bob Stoops. Let's go 2000 to 2003. Four years. Average AP ranking at the end of the year. Between those four years, 3.75. Lincoln Riley, 2017 to 2020. Average AP finish, fifth. So a, a full point, 1.25 points higher average than, also, uh, than Riley. I, the, the, the thing that bugs me the most about that is that gambling podcast, you're looking for facts. Why do you care about AP poll finish? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, and that's, I, all I care about is SP plus or FEI or, or what the analytics are saying. Why on earth would you care about AP poll? I mean, yeah, I don't know. They're just because, like, I, I, I can assure you, <laughs> I can assure you that Bob Stoops' best four years per SP plus or FEI are certainly better than Lincoln Riley's best four years. OU two thousand through two thousand three was a monster in that regard. Yeah, I and in terms of analytics, the best the best team that OU had was the twenty twenty team under Lincoln Riley. That was his best team per like the analytics and all that stuff. The fake COVID year. Didn't count. Didn't matter. Uh, throw that away. So, yeah, that was kind of fun. Uh, the the overpraise of Riley was kind of annoying. But uh, so th- to the credit of A.J. Hoffman, he, he was the guy that was talking more about it. He, he made the bet at the end. That's he took the under and you know we disagree to his credit. You know, they were overpraising Lincoln Riley. But uh, if you listen to the podcast more, he's not buying into the USC hype. Uh, he didn't have USC in his top 10 uh, and he made a point at the end of the podcast like his one of his best bets if you're looking at and this was I think this came out like a week or two ago maybe the odds have shifted but he said that you know USC is the favorite to win the Pac-12 and he said that yeah you're getting a lot more value and it's a better bet to take Utah at you know whatever their number was which was you know more more plus money than than USC so to his credit he was not buying into the USC stuff but uh, yeah so there's a couple of clips from you know some people that 
I guess, cover college football or talk about college football on the national stage. And they're both similar. Uh, you know, they're, they're down in Oklahoma, and they're both under 9.5. And so I'll just say this. From my perspective, uh, I think I'm right about Oklahoma. I think the Sooners, uh, you know, seeing a number at below 10, seeing it at 9.5, that's, that's a gimme, 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 man. That's value. It doesn't happen very often. And given everything that we know about the program so far, there is no chance that I would bet under 9.5. Sure, maybe if you're skeptical, you stay away. Like, I think betting under is, is not a good bet. But I would recommend, if you can, if you can do it, get nine and a half, bet the over. If you can do it, do, bet it. And full disclosure, I've already found a way to do it. So uh, I think what? Like, I, yeah. I think the, the fairest way to describe kind of how the national media, even the regional media, like the Big 12 media is talking about OU this year, is that essentially everyone assumes that OU's team is going to be worse than last year's team. Yes. It seems like, whereas virtually 100% of OU fans expect it to be actually not just better, but a lot better <laughs> than last year's team. And, and, we, and, and, and a lot of us feel like we have legitimate reasons to feel that way. Yes, and, that's the, and, and we try to make sure that we're not drinking the Kool-Aid, and this is the big part of this podcast from the beginning, is this is not going to be... Not that there's really any podcasts out there for OU. Maybe there are that are just like everything you say about OU is awesome. Like, we're, like realistic, you know. I mean, we're going to point out things where they're bad, things where they're good, whatever. And like, we're we're not like we hope that we build up a little bit of credibility. And it's not just us. It's it's everybody that follows OU football that in the media, like we see it. We we see the difference. And like I say all the time, either we're going to be right or they're going to be right. And hey, that's the fun of it. We'll see. That, we'll, we'll right. all play out. That's 100%. Like, this isn't, um, it's a unique season, you know, coming up here in that regard. Whereas, like, I, I hear all of this stuff, and I, I, I think this season is probably, this offseason has probably had the most kind of just like skeptical OU talk from the national that I've had since I've been a fan. I, I mean, um, in the sense that they've been a huge, you know, story in the offseason. A lot of people want to talk about them. Um, and so, I think that that really creates an opportunity for this to be a really fun season. And um, it's I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not resentful for the way that these people feel like to me. This is college. This is just the, 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 um, the context of it just makes this so much fun. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, like you said, someone's going to be right. Someone's going to be wrong. I, I, I really feel like OU's fan base in the situation is. Is, is is right about this and and obviously that's the way that i feel and you know it, it's only feelings at this point until we kick off and we actually see uh what, what's going to happen but i don't know man i i think there's plenty out there right now for it for I, I feel like it's reasonable for me to say that ou's offense is going to be better than ou's offense last season and ou's defense is going to be better than ou's defense last season that's not crazy to say because both of those units last year relative to oh we're not that great and they were I'd actually say, pretty yeah. pretty lucky to win 10 games i think to be on my end to be more precise i would say i think it's reasonable to say oklahoma's defense will be better than last year i think i would i wouldn't say it's they're gonna it, it's reasonable to say the offense will be better than last year but i'd say it's reasonable to say the offense will be more consistent than last year but well i, I, I mean i i would say there, better there's just so many highs you know, and lows. more consistent does mean it's better Maybe uh, the yeah. ceiling is not going to be as high because because Caleb Williams is not going to be the quarterback. Let's let's be honest about that. It's okay to mention that. That's fine. Oh, yeah. But in terms of production, here here's where I come back to. 
in terms of raw production, we can expect Dylan Gabriel to be better than Spencer Rattler was last year, right? Yes. That's reasonable, right? Yes. We know what Caleb Williams looked like at the height of his powers. Looked like the best quarterback in college football at the height of his powers. Mm-hmm. Let's look at his actual production in actual, in actual games where he struggled, and there were numerous. Uh, Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State jump out to me. In games and Kansas, Kansas, Kansas as well. Um, take those games. That's, that's three and a half parts of four games that we mentioned where he wasn't that great. And let's take Caleb Williams' production overall over the course of the season. I think Dylan Gabriel's going to have better production in all likelihood than Caleb Williams. I hope so. I hope so. Just, just as uh, a matter of raw stats. Okay. And by the way, uh, I'm even more uh, bullish on... You know, none, I was waiting for them to talk about USC. I'm waiting for people to talk USC. And there's people that want to take that over because USC's number is 9.5. I, t- I said it before. I, I'm even more confident in the under nine and a half for USC than I am the over nine and a half for OU. Like I, I'm way more confident in USC going under nine and a half than I am OU going over nine and a half. If that makes sense. I'm, I just yeah. I, I agreed. Agreed. So like I and this is like I, I want to get that last a, like, bit in there. Uh, you know, OU going under nine and a half, going nine and three this year is like that wouldn't shock me. That wouldn't be like the mo- the craziest thing I've ever thought of. And so like I don't think. I don't think people who are making these predictions are like off the rocker or anything like that. It's just, um, it's the consistency of the messages and a lot of the reasonings pretty much seems to be exactly the same. Everyone you talk to of, of why they're picking OU to maybe not meet the expectations that like the fan base would have. And so, um, gosh, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be really fun to watch as, as the season plays out. And, um, as say, yeah, if you're an OU fan, don't get too frustrated about it. Just like think of it as an opportunity to just, to, Think of it as an opportunity for a delicious football season. Oh, man. But if we're wrong, though, that's going to be a really long It's going to suck. It's going to really suck <laughs> if we're wrong. Uh, but the thing is, here's, really here's why. And, like, I'm, um, I'm really comfortable coming out and talking about how confident I am in the team because I was really comfortable coming out in the early stage of this thing saying, uh, I'm, I don't really know. I'm not sure. The reason why my feelings have changed so much is because we've essentially gotten eight consecutive months, Lee, of extreme competence coming out of the football program. Like, mm-hmm. to, to, to the point where I don't even know what to do with it. It's been so competent. <laughs> Everything is like, I, I know it's one of his favorite words with, with Brent Venn. Everything is intentional. Everything has a purpose. Uh, um, I mean, we haven't even, we've barely talked about recruiting in this thing like that. How can you explain the July in recruiting that they've had Without just mentioning, yeah, you know, maybe we should have seen this coming based on the extreme competence that was coming from the program. How do you recruit in that way, have that good of a July, unless you're just really competent in what you're doing? Unless you know exactly what you're doing. I, like, yeah. I don't know, like, the, the momentum that OU has on the recruiting trail right now is, like, I, you know, we're, we're not a huge recruiting podcast. We know that. We don't talk about that a lot. But it's... It's, it's not normal, the immediate success that they have had on their recruiting trail, especially in this month of July. And the only way to explain that, in my, in my opinion, is that Brent Venables and his staff know exactly what they are doing. 
it's fun. It's fun to watch from afar so far, and hopefully it'll be even more fun to watch all of the fruits of their labor play out on the gridiron this fall. Stay tuned. Uh, all right, so let's knock out a couple Facebook comments before we go. Uh, let's start with Philip, longtime listener. Philip, thanks for the comment. He says, "Recruiting and player development is a must to survive and compete in the SEC. With two years to prepare for SEC play, how long do you think it will take for Oklahoma to get to the SEC title game? Could OU do it in the first two or three seasons in the SEC?" Uh, well, first off, Philip, to to answer your question, it's I, I know like you're not. This is not what you want, but it's tough to answer that considering we don't really know how the SEC is going to be set up when OU gets into the conference, right? Like, we don't know how they're even going to determine who's playing in the SEC title game. Is it just going to be just the two top teams and they're going to do pods? Or I, so, I guess it, so I guess going based on that, like, can Oklahoma be one of, the, one of the top two teams, regardless of division, I guess, in the first you know, two or three years in the SEC? Absolutely they can. I don't, sure. Uh, I want to see more player development. <laughs> I mean, we haven't seen any yet, but everything we've seen so far off the field has been five star. I mean, has been elite. It's been a, it's incredible. Uh, now they got to do it actually where it matters on the football field. We haven't seen that yet, but I don't know. I suppose we haven't gotten any evidence or any reason to think that on the football field is going to be a disaster yet. Uh, so you know, my confidence in OU, you know, reaching an SEC title game in the first couple of years it's it's very doable uh, i'm not necessarily going to expect it I don't, I don't i don't know we'll see how they play this year and when they go to the sec but um i everything we've seen so far has been great and it's it's kind of crazy i know we've said it before and it's been hinted at here and there but man what if all of this happening with lincoln riley and then brent venable what if that actually was a blessing in disguise and, and this is what oklahoma needed to prepare for the sec uh, it's too early to tell, but uh, so far, so good. What do you think? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll answer his question in the affirmative. Like, could they do it? Yeah, of course. Of course they could. And But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. But, yeah, I mean, just look at the, the recruiting momentum they have right now. Um, there's, like, I, of course, I, until we can definitively, like, until we see more classes play out, right now there's, there's no denying that the momentum that they have, this class that they have, that, this class is on pace to be the best class that they've had in nearly 20 years. So, which means it would be better than any class that Lincoln Riley ever had, um, which would completely nuke the narrative of <laughs> OU not being able to recruit in the SEC would totally nuke it. In fact, if OU is able to like have like an amazing recruiting class this year, and I think I've already said this, I'd be like, what, why even go to the SEC? <laughs> like I, if, if, if they can recruit at that level and stay in the big 12, they should do it. But that's that. That'd be my opinion. That's conversation for the other day for for another day. That you know, I'm sure not not a lot of people would share that opinion. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, this is I'm where we currently are right now before a game being played. I know for sure that when Oklahoma enters the SEC, the expectation in that program is going to be to play for the SEC title every single year. At this point in time, I don't I don't see any reason to believe why they, they shouldn't have that expectation. And, uh, I mean, we, we'll see who else Oklahoma gets. I mean, they can – I'm not sure how high this class can get. I mean, I think they can, they can be in the top five. I mean, is it – can they get higher than five? I don't know how the ratings work for the composite they and whatnot. Could. But I think top three is probably a stretch, but I, I think four or five is doable. 
so yeah, and, and that if that happens, then I think what you said is probably right. I, it just is worth noting that the 2019 class for OU, it was ranked sixth. So if if they finish in the top five, then yeah, it's better than that. But but Riley did bring in a, a, the number six class in 2019. The problem was, you look at that class now, and you kind of like eh, eh. It was headlined by by four guys, and three of them are not in the program anymore. Yep. But the good thing is, the one guy who's still there is going to have an amazing season. He's going to be awesome this year. Yeah, let's go Theo. Woo! <laughs> uh, man, Marcus Major was in that class. No kidding. Man, how about that? Aguebu was in that class? Fit right in. Fit right in with that class. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. I'm looking at I could have swore, uh, swore Benito was in this class. He's, must no, he's 2018. He was 18. Okay. Man. Yeah, Benito right, was a Mike to... Stoops recruit. Benito sure was. was a huge yeah. Mike Stoops guy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I remember that being a thing about whether or not Benito would still be here after Stoops got fired. Woody Washington was in that class. All right. I mean, he's primed to have a good year. They love him. The new coaching staff love. Yeah. Woody no, there's there, there's some guys left over from that class who are still here who who could absolutely make that class in retrospect look a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um. But but yes, at where we currently stand, that is absolutely one of. I, one of the worst recruiting classes OU has had in my fandom. And I also don't know where he fits in with the team right now because there's a lot of competition, but Jaden Davis is in that class. I like Jaden Davis, man. Talk about the guys that are good interviews. He's a really good interviewer. I, I want Jaden Davis to have success. So I uh, do hopefully too. he figures out, yeah. I really he's a, want him to have success. He's, he's and the thing is, Jaden Davis, he fits in perfectly with this, this new coaching staff anyways because every time you talk to him before – He's always about the team, man. He would always talk about his teammates so much. He would never talk about himself. Like, he would bring up other random guys that didn't even get asked about. So, that dude loves talking about his teammates. So. The thing I hate about, like, the thing that sucks about Jaden Davis, too, is that up until last season, he was only ever just an above average player for them. Like, whenever he was in there, like, always solid minutes, always solid snaps. Yeah. And then last yeah. year, not really putting wonderful positions to succeed and just kind of. Kind of fell off a cliff. That's not great. I hope. I hope. I. I do hope he has a good season because we have kind of forgotten about him a little bit. All right. The last question, a fun one from longtime listener Harry. Harry, thanks for the comment and question. He says, "When Oklahoma is ready to make the SEC move, a lot of SEC talk from you guys. You guys are looking looking forward to looking ahead to the, the SEC." Uh, Harry says, "What is the one trip that you all are looking forward to? Uh, for me, covering." And for you, Grant, attending as a fan, Harry says that his has got to be he's ready to go to Ole Miss, go to Oxford. So I'll be honest with you here. I haven't given this much thought yet. I mean, I, I covered the SEC for a couple of years uh, when I covered Texas A&M. I only went to one road game, though, in those two seasons. We didn't travel as much as we travel here at OU, or at News 9 to cover OU. Uh, but the one game I did go to, I went to LSU, and they played A&M at night, and that was fun. That was cool. Like, I, I, left, I left Death Valley that night thinking, okay, I get this. I understand. I get why this is a big deal. Great atmosphere. Everyone go to LSU, no doubt. Whether it's night or not, I mean, when they play OU, maybe it will be a night because it's OU, but uh, LSU is really cool. Definitely want to go down to Baton Rouge and see that. So uh, other than that, I mean, I, I've not been to a game in Tuscaloosa. I've seen the stadium. I've been outside. They got already got a Saban statue out there. <laughs> Dude's still coaching for him. He already got a statue up. 
So, yeah, I mean, going to, going to see Alabama, I mean, that's probably got to be a must. But I'm kind of with you, Harry. I've always heard of Oxford is really fun, and the Ole Miss fans are insane. Uh, but, man, every city, it's just, you know, the newness of everything is going to be cool. I mean, uh, I mean, I've been to Lubbock. I've been to Lawrence. I've been to Waco. Uh, I've been to Fort Worth. I mean, I think I've been to every Big 12 city. Uh, and so it's kind of like, all right, I've seen them all. Uh, I want to see some new cities. So I guess, I guess I'll, to, to make this simple, I'll go with Oxford, but that may change over time. So what about you, Grant? Where do you want to go? Uh, it's, it's, it's Baton Rouge and it's not even really, not even really close. Um, yeah. Uh, first time they play in Baton Rouge, I will be there. No, yeah, it's, I, I'm going to make it happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's what it is. Obviously I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to go to Ole Miss too. I want to do the Grove. I want to do Oxford and all that. I'd love to go to Gainesville. Love to go to Knoxville. Love to go to Auburn. I, there's a lot of places I really want to check out. The only the like the only places I don't like I don't really care to go to a Vanderbilt game. Obviously, even though going to Nashville would probably be pretty fun. I've been um, there. I've been I've been inside their stadium. <laughs> uh, um, whatever whatever A and M played in the Music City Bowl. Yeah, I mean that's you know whatever. I, Vanderbilt's one you can probably skip. But then again, Nashville's a cool city. So OU fans will travel, no doubt. So I, I'm sure I'm sure Fayetteville's probably a lot of fun. Um, Honestly, you know, we College Station is probably is it's been a while. It's been nearly 15 years since you and I went to a game there, or I mean, you've been to a lot of games there, but us together. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, that place was was kind of cool, I guess. I mean, the atmosphere when we went in 2008 was subdued, but because but oh, you won that game by 50, so that's probably why. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I, LSU big time. I I kind of always been, um. I've always been like an OU message board guy and like I've always been kind of connected with like the fan community and everything and so like I I very much remember all of the talk about uh, how awful LSU fans were uh, for the 2003 National Championship game in the Sugar Bowl and uh, I've just always just kind of said that if you know if OU is ever in that position again where they're going into the Lions Den again to you know to basically be on the road against LSU that I will be there along with all of the other OU fans who are who are going to experience the abuse. I will also be there. So um, that's that's just kind of where I'm in, where, where I'm at. So when they play at Death Valley, which I'm assuming is going to be within the first two years of them in the SEC, I will absolutely be there, and I am very excited about it. Yeah, just looking over the rest of the schools that, you know, there's so many schools in that conference. Uh, South Carolina is one I got to go to. Um, a&M played at South Carolina when I was covering Texas A&M, but uh, my partner Colin went to that game instead, and he said it was pretty cool. Uh, so Columbia would be cool to go to. And, uh, heck, you know what? Seeing OU play, I mean, I'm not sure if this, you know, when this is going to happen. I'm sure it will happen at least once in the next 20 years. But in Athens at Georgia, okay. Oh, that's yeah, pretty cool. that, that too. I mean, there's a lot of places. I mean, there's at least half of the stadiums in the SEC – are on like on like my bucket list to go to. Yeah. And so yeah, a- Athens was the one that was that I wasn't able to pull from my brain. That's that's a big one I'd like. And obviously I want to go to Tuscaloosa. But in terms of like that's actually probably of the ones I want to go to in the SEC, that's probably near the bottom of the list. Cuz cuz oh you'll lose obviously to Alabama. That's not going to be fun. Well, no, it just it feels <laughs> Tuscaloosa when you watch a, when you watch an Alabama game on TV, it feels more like an NFL game than it does a college game. Oh, interesting. Uh, but hey, just that the first time OU plays Georgia and we get all the, the Rose Bowl rematch stories, man. I gotta tell you, man, Georgia I am here fans for that. 
uh, yeah, Georgia fans were great in LA too. I like it was they were fun to talk to. It's um that that, that could that could be a good time. Gosh, man, that's that's going to be so great. That that's that's one of like that's one of like the big things about the conference realignment that I think a lot of the people in the Big 12 maybe around the country just don't don't understand either, but like going to Lubbock, going to Stillwater, going to Ames, going to Waco, it, it like it does like there's there's not a lot of excitement there there really isn't and i i like it's this really is going to kind of re-energize the fan base i think a little bit that's those those trips are always a lot of fun i gotta fact check myself i have not been to morgantown i think that's the only big 12 city i've not been to i have not been to morgantown yet yeah until uh until ou loses to west virginia in the big 12 number one trap game on my list is always going to be West Virginia. <laughs> I just, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem right to me. It just intuitively, I just, I, I feel like there's no way that OU is getting through the entire tenure with West Virginia here and not losing to them once. There's just no, there's just not going to happen. Right. Well, I guess mark it down this year. One of the, that's why everyone's taking the under to Morgantown. I mean, that's that right now. If I'm, if I'm picking if I have to pick two losses, at TCU and at West Virginia are my two picks right now. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see if those those picks stay the same in our big season preview, which is going to be upcoming at some point. Uh, wow. Yeah, that'll be coming up pretty soon. Um, anyways, all right. So uh, good. Good stuff. Good, good show. Uh, yeah, we gave you almost two hours. So uh, enjoy it. Uh, we'll be back next week at some point. We'll have a lot more fall camp stuff to talk about. Uh, any final thoughts, Grant, or should I just wrap this bad boy up? Nah, nib high football rules. All right. Of course, of course you do. All right. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. <laughs>